Hi, this is Tommy Rowe, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining me for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 444 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we head into the music world with none other than Tommy Rowe, who gave us the hits Jam Up and Jelly Tight, Hooray for Hazel, Sheila, Dizzy and so many others back in the 60s. He is here and he's going to be telling us a whole lot of stuff. It's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Tommy Rowe, stick around for that. And uh, we got some great, amazing guests coming your way. As always, we just got, they're coming and coming and we're just going to have more and more. And over the next couple of weeks, I hope you'll be joining us here next month, whatever. And uh, tell a friend, because uh, it's just getting more exciting here at On Screen and Beyond. So uh, let's get right into it. Tommy Rose coming up in a few minutes. Let's get into Remake Madness. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. It looks like Nikki Carroll, the director of Whale Rider and McFarland USA, is in final negotiations to head the remake of Mulan for Disney, the animated version that is going to be made into the live-action film. And November of 2018 is the projected release date of that. And the remake of Scarface that's been uh, talked about, it's moving along. And the Coen brothers are writing the film. And Rogue One star Diego Luna will star as Tony Montana. And look for August 10th, 2018 as the release date on that one. And the remake of Halloween, or a remake of Halloween, I should say, another one, is in the works, and this time from creator John Carpenter himself. And uh, this one he's only going to be the executive producer on, uh, but he says he might do some of the music in it, like he did in the original. We'll find out what happens. That's it for Remake Madness, coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies, it looks like Vince Vaughn and Dwayne The Rock Johnson will star in a new dramedy about wrestling. It's going to be called Fighting With My Family. Sometime in 2018 is the expected release on that one. That sounds like a good connection there. And let's see, November 17th, Julia Roberts will star in Wonder. It's about a boy with a facial deformity, and he's going to school for the first time in the 8th grade, and he's dealing with bullies. And Jack is back. That's right. Jack Nicholson will return to film after seven years in a comedy drama called Tony Erdman. And they will keep you informed on that. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, let's go down to Sequel City and find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Sequel City, it looks like actor Jimmy V will be taking over the role of R2-D2 in the upcoming Star Wars movies. Kenny Baker, who played the original uh, version of uh, R2-D2, passed away last August. And it looks like V's first one will be Star Wars The Last Jedi. And let's see, the sequel for Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns, will have Dick Van Dyke in a role that he played in the original. No, it's not uh, Bert, but uh, he will be playing the son of Mr. Dawes, the bank chairman. If you remember that, he was the old guy there. And uh, that's who he played in the original also. He played both roles. Uh, Not Bert uh, this time, though. He won't be playing Bert, but uh, that's going to be an interesting one. And let's see, uh, Kevin Smith has written a sequel to Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. It's called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, and the shooting is in hopes of starting this summer. That's it for Sequel City. Sequel's coming your way. Next on On Screen to Be On, it is TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, it looks like on March 4th, Time Life is going to be coming out with a very, very funny release. It's uh, the Carol Burnett Show, The Best of Tim Conway. Now, this is four episodes, three of them that have not been seen in 40 years. So that's going to be a good one. April 18th, Hawaii 5.0, the complete original series, will arrive in stores. And it's always sunny in Philadelphia, the complete season 11. It's going to be on DVD, and that's available right now. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen to Be On, Movies on DVD. (laughs) Movies on DVD, April 4th, Office Christmas Party with Jason Bateman will be hitting stores on Blu-ray and DVD. Sleepless with Jamie Foxx lands in uh, stores on Blu-ray and DVD on April 18th. And... Live by Night with Ben Affleck comes our way on March 21st. That's it for Movies on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV and Entertainment Time. (laughs) TV and Entertainment Time. All right, let's look what's going on. Superstore has been renewed for a third season over at NBC. HBO will be doing a documentary on the life of Andre the Giant. Now, of course, he was a wrestler. Remember, he was always doing that, and he was also in The Princess Bride and a whole bunch of other stuff, so uh, that should be an interesting one. And Lucifer on Fox has been renewed for a third season. That's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, it's Celebrity Birthday. We baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache and you moan and groan and woe, don't forget we told you so. Happy birthday! Celebrity birthdays, February 16th, Ice-T turns 59, LeVar Burton turns 60. On February 17th, Jerry O'Connell turns 43. On February 18th, it looks like John Travolta turns 63. February 19th, Bellamy Young of Scandal turns 47. She was a past guest here at On Screen and Beyond. You can go back and listen to her uh, her episode that we had with her, the interview we had with her before the series was uh, really moving along that much. It just started. And on February 20th, Stuart French turns 53. February 21st, Jennifer Love Hewitt turns 38. And on 
February 22nd, Drew Barrymore turns 42. That's it for celebrity birthdays. As far as listener birthdays, we didn't have any come in for this week, but if you, a friend or a relative, are going to be having a birthday, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we will get that information out to everybody. So all over the world, listeners of On Screen and Beyond can wish you a very happy birthday. So that's it for Celebrity Birthdays. Next on On Screen and Beyond, this guy gave us so many hits back in the 60s and early 70s. He gave us Jam Up and Jelly Tight, Sheila, Hooray for Hazel, which is, uh, we're going to find out why, how, why he wrote that song, okay? And also Dizzy, the monster hit that was out, and so many other hits he had. Tommy Rowe is next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today's guest on On Screen and Beyond is a singer and musician who gave us many hit songs in the 60s, including Sheila, Sweet Pea, Hooray for Hazel, Jam Up Jelly Tight, The Monster Hit Dizzy, and many others. He has a new book out that talks about his life called From Cabbage Town to Tinseltown and Places in Between. It's Tommy Rowe. Tommy, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. Now, Tommy, uh, first off, on a personal note, i got to tell you, I loved your music. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It's, Thanks so much. It, it was such great songs. I mean, you were hitting hit after hit after hit uh, back in the 60s there, and it was just the music that so many people grew up with, and, and I'm sure there's all kinds of, our listeners especially, who who uh, we, we have a lot of uh, guests that bring back memories from those years. Uh, right. And you just... You know, your music was just there, and, and it was something that we always were looking forward to. Well, I had a good run, for sure. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> That's for Starting sure. Starting in 1962 with Sheila, that was my uh, first national hit and my first gold record. And, of course, in 1969, I had another uh, number one hit and another gold record with Dizzy. Mm-hmm. And a few in between. Oh, and, and a few good ones, too. <laughs> a lot yeah. of good ones. <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, now, uh, for, let's start off with your book. Um, uh-huh. What made you decide to do a book? Ooh, well, I thought I'd better do it before it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've been thinking about this for probably five or six years. Michael Corgan, my co-writer, and my is a real pusher. So he got me off the stick, and about three years ago, we started working on it uh you know, practically every month we would add something or take away, edit, whatever. It took us it took us about three years to get it together. But Michael was very instrumental in getting me off off the dime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how was it for you to? I mean, it is your life, but sometimes when you look back, you say, "Oh, geez, I did that, and I did this, and I did that." It, it, did it bring back a lot of memories? It did, and uh, you know, some very good memories and some painful memories it was very cathartic in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um but you know once i got into it and with michael's help michael was very good at bringing out bringing out ideas and things from my past you know kind of jogging my memory Mm -hmm. and so once we got rolling with it it was it seemed to go pretty smoothly but it was hard getting started because there you know there are a few painful things in my in everybody's life you know about your memory 
And uh, you, you say, oh, this, did that really happen? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you say. But, um, you know, we got through it, and um, I'm very proud of it. I think, uh, I think I took it to another level. That's what I was trying to do with the book. Uh, there's so many rock and roll books out and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. If that's what you're looking for with my book, you'll be very disappointed because <laughs> that's not where we went with it. Um, I was trying to parallel, uh, the influence of the music business in the sixties with, with our culture and with politics. <clears throat> and I think we accomplished that. And of course I was trying to tell the stories along the way, uh, people I met and, uh, things that happened in the career and uh and i think we accomplished that so i'm very proud of it and um i hope the people who buy it enjoy it yeah now we've had a lot of different uh music artists from the 60s here on our show and um you know a lot of them talked about the 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 problems uh of the artist not getting uh, the money and 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 you know mm. the, 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 all the problems of payola and all those things that were going on at that time. Yeah, uh, did you have that issue too, or was that not something? Uh, you know, like, like we had Bobby Hart on, we had uh, Tommy James. You know, probably people you've worked <laughs> with or no, I, I don't know. But oh, sure, I've worked with both of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've worked with most everybody. I'm sure you have <laughs> over a 55 year career. I think we've crossed paths with about everybody. Mm-hmm. But that's true. A lot of the uh, songwriters from the 50s, especially the black artists, um, for a lot of different reasons, they lost the the uh, control of their songs. Uh, they would write hit songs and not get paid, or get paid minimal amount for the, for the success of their songs. So it was very unfortunate, and I think later on, a lot of that turned around. Like, Chuck Berry had a hard time in the beginning, you know? Really? And he wrote some classic rock and roll songs. Oh, yeah. And, of course, uh, Chuck turned that around as far as his royalties. He turned that around big time. And uh, I'm glad to see that, you know? And, I'm, and, it, and it really was... Uh, it's like I talk about this in the book. You know, Pat Boone was about covering the black artist records mm-hmm. and i know pat very well he's a gentle soul and i'm sure that he didn't do that intentionally trying to just make the money a lot of times in those days the artists had very little control over the songs they recorded uh the record company would send you a song and said you will do this you know yeah. <laughs> and so yeah and so that's really what happened in a lot of those cases it wasn't the artist that took advantage uh, of the white artist that took advantage of the black artist. It was more or less the industry that did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned Pat. Pat was on, uh, I think, two months ago we had him on the show. Oh, yeah. He's a wonderful guy. Oh, Pat. Yeah. yeah. Known him for years. First time I saw Pat perform, it's kind of a funny story. I was still in high school in Atlanta, and Zena Sears, a DJ here, kind of took a liking to me as an artist and he he was promoting the show at the georgia tech at the, at the i think they called it the dome at georgia tech and so he took me to the show and uh i never standing in the aisle you know backstage and pat walked by and patted me on the shoulder and says hey you look like an entertainer <laughs> i said well i hope so maybe one of these days you know but uh that was kind of a funny instant, and then of course he went out and did a super show, and I watched the show with Zenus. Hmm. Yeah. Now, was being a rock star your what you ultimately wanted to do when you when you first started out? Uh, not, not at all. I mean, I didn't even. I don't even think we were called rock stars. Right. In those <laughs> days. You know, we were just called singers and songwriters. 
But when my dad taught me four, uh, three chords on the guitar when I was about 14 years old, at, at the same time I was writing poems, and I just had a knack for writing these little, you know, juvenile-sounding poems. And so when he taught me the three chords, I decided to try to put some music to my poems, and that's how it all started for me. And that's how Sheila happened. I actually wrote a poem about a girl I was in school with who I had a crush on. Her name was Frida. So originally Sheila was called... Sweet little Frito, you know, if you see her blue eyes and a ponytail. And so I put some music to that, and then I met a record producer, and he wanted to hear my songs. I sang Frida for him, and he said, you know, I really like that song, Frida, but we have to do something about the title. He didn't like the title for some reason. (laughs) So we changed it to Sheila, and as we like to say, when there's nothing left to say, the rest is history. (laughs) Now, were you writing most of your songs, or were they, you know, songs that you got from other artists? I wrote uh, all of my hits. I wrote. Um, I recorded songs from other writers, you know, uh, from the Brill Building in New York. We got some songs, a little Hollywood Girl. I recorded that, which came from the Brill Building. And so I did a few on some albums that other people wrote. And I had a big hit with one that was Merle Kilgore out of Nashville. Uh, it was like a top five record for me in England it's called The Folk Singer. And that was written by Merle. Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't uh, objecting to doing other people's songs. In fact, I enjoyed covering other people's songs. You know, I always tried to do my best uh, with their songs. I felt an obligation to see if I could do them as well as I could, and I and I hope I did in most cases. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the story behind Dizzy? How did you come up with that one? Uh, Dizzy happened. Um, I, I I was asked by Dick Clark to join his he was doing a new show out in california he'd moved a bandstand from philadelphia to los angeles and i was living in new york at the time i was just out of the service i was doing my boot camp in 1964 and after i got out of boot camp i I moved to new york and um so dick called and wanted to know if i would come out to california and be a regular on this new show he was doing called where the action is Mm -hmm. and he's i said well i just and i I was reluctant he's We'll only be here about six months. You know, we'll tape all the shows, then you can go back to, to New York. Well, I went out to do Where the Action Is, and I'm still in California <laughs> from 1966. I never went back to New York. But one thing that happened uh, for me during that time when I was on Where the Action Is, I met Paul Revere and the Raiders, and Paul lost his guitar player, and he asked me if I knew someone that might be interested in auditioning for the job. So I suggested... Uh, for him to get in touch with Freddie Weller, my old friend from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So Freddie came out to Los Angeles and auditioned for uh, the guitar player for Paul, and he got the gig. So the next thing I knew, here I was traveling with the Dick Clark Caravan of the Stars with Paul Revere and the Raiders and my old buddy Freddie Weller playing guitar with the group. So that worked perfect for us. We started writing songs on one of those tours, and uh, one night we we're traveling from one gig to another on the bus and Freddie and I started riding dizzy on that particular tour and we finished it. And a uh, few, few months later, I went on recording. it turned out to be my biggest record. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great song. I love that song. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, now when, when you look back at that time, when you were, uh, were you going, having trouble going out in public because people knew you and everything? Yeah, pretty much so. I mean, I had uh, I, I was in all the teen magazines. I don't know if you remember back in those days, they had 
Teen Magazine. Oh, yeah, and, Tiger uh, Beat and all those other yeah, things. Yeah, Tiger Beat. That's right. I forgot <laughs> about that one. That was a big one, too. That was a big magazine. So I was in all the magazines, and I would I would go out, you know, like a normal person, and next thing I knew, people would be following me around. And it was kind of unusual at first. I had to get used to it. But then, you know, I started to realize, well, you know, they know who I am, so I might as well enjoy it, you know. <laughs> And uh, I was never reluctant to sign autographs for my fans. I mean, they'd come up and ask for autographs, and I was uh, always very happy to do that. Still am. I mean, without the fans, I have to thank the fans. I do it in my book. In fact, my book is dedicated to the fans because without them, it would have been a very hard road for me. You know, and uh, they have stuck with me all these years. I mean, 55 years I've been in the business, and I still have some of the same fans that started out with me in the 60s so oh, sure. it's kind of cool oh geez yeah yeah so uh now you mentioned that you've you've worked with a lot of different people and, and you mentioned dick clark and uh, pat boone and everything but you also worked with the beatles right i did um the first time i met the beatles uh chris montez and i were booked in england in 1963 and Chris and I were the featured act on this tour, and I mean, we, we were the headliners of the tour, and the Beatles were a featured act on our tour. <laughs> so I, I met the Beatles. I, I'm probably Chris and I are probably the only ones that can say we knew the Beatles when. You know? <laughs> but um, I, I used to joke with John on the tour. I said, you know, it's because of our tour that you guys are are taking off like you are. You know that, don't you? <laughs> he, he didn't buy it. He, didn't, he wasn't buying it. But uh, then, then a year later, when they came to the States, they did the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, Brian Epstein called my manager and asked if I would open the show for, for them at their first American concert in Washington, D.C., a couple of days after the Ed Sullivan show. That was February 11th, 1964. So uh, I agreed to. I was very happy to. We got along great on the tour, and I, I was watching uh, – stars being born you know i was in on the ground floor of the beetle beetle mania so to speak in fact beetle mania started on our tour i don't know if any of you uh listeners that watched uh hard day's night the beatles movie hard day's night mm-hmm. yeah that was exactly how our tour was in 1963 wow. i mean i i guarantee you they got all the ideas for that movie from our tour because if the fans couldn't find a beetle to chase, they'd chase Chris and I. You know, they would <laughs> chase us down the street till they caught us, and then they did, and then they didn't know what to do. Once they caught us, they'd say, "Oh my God, we caught you!" <laughs> <laughs> now, you also mentioned the the Caravan of Stars with Dick Clark there, uh, and I mean they don't do that type of thing anymore. But but you know, it wasn't just like one or two artists together. You had a whole busload of great artists together oh, at one yeah. time well he would have anywhere from eight to 12 artists on on his show that's and, incredible uh, uh i toured with uh neil diamond did caravan of stars otis redding did it i mean everybody did his shows and uh usually what would happen you would if you had one hit you'd go out and sing one hit mm-hmm. and that was it and you were off stage then the next act had two hits they'd sing two hits so it depended on how many hits you had, where your place was in the show. You know, if you had if you had six hits, then you would probably close the show. You know? ah, okay. So so it was it was that kind of a deal. And I remember I write about this in the book. Actually, um, Dick used to stress to us all the time because we would always want to do longer than we were allotted. You know, if you had just had one song to do, you'd 
kind of stretch it out and make it as long as you could. <laughs> Next thing you know, the show's running like two and a half hours, you know? Mm-hmm. So Dick used to always stress. He, he would say, I don't care if you're Elvis Presley. I don't care who you are. Any show over an hour and a half is too long. Mm. So he managed to cram in an hour and a half, sometimes maybe an hour and 45 minutes if it went overtime, eight or ten acts. I mean, that's it's absolutely amazing that he could accomplish that. And, and when he would come out, sometimes he'd come out on tour and MC the shows, you know, not always, but a lot of the shows he would come out and MC himself. And boy, when he was there, it ended in an hour and a half on the, on the bus. That was it. <laughs> he was watching. <laughs> Oh yeah, he he was just adamant about that. Yeah, you know, over yeah. no longer than an hour and a half. Wow, huh? It's now was it a good time traveling like that, or was it really a pain? You know, <laughs> being being crammed well, into a bus. I think probably both. I mean, it was hard to travel on a bus, and and of course in those days it was just a regular old Greyhound bus. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like the, the artists have today with the bed and the bathrooms and all that on it. Right. So that part was very strenuous. I mean. Some of the guys would sleep up in the luggage rack when we'd travel all night, you know. <laughs> They'd get a pillow and crawl into the luggage rack and try to sleep. It was impossible to sleep, really. On That's why Freddie and I stayed up all night writing songs, because, uh, you know, I couldn't sleep on a bus traveling like that, sitting in a chair, you know. Yeah, but we benefited but, uh, that, from that. <laughs> we, yeah, we got yeah, a lot of that, great that, songs. Yeah, that part was... Um, was very difficult, but I really enjoyed working the Caravan of Stars, and, and Dick always treated you like a star. I mean, he, he would always treat you very well, um, and some and he to me, he was like a mentor, you know, I mean, he really took pride in presenting you in his show, and he, he would take pride in having you on bandstand and all of his shows, so mm-hmm. uh, he helped a lot of us uh, with our careers along the way. Yeah. Now, growing up as a, a young child, uh, did you ever think that that's what you wanted to do, or were you, you know, going to be a fireman or a baseball player or something like that? Well, you know, the music thing just came because of my dad. I mean, my dad played guitar, my mom played piano. Everybody in my family played an instrument of sorts. And if you didn't play an instrument, you'd pick up the spoons or the washboard. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we used to sit out on the. I remember when I was a young kid, we'd sit out on my grandparents' porch. Down south, we always had this big front porch, you know. And uh, the rest of the house might be two bedrooms, but, but the, the front porch was always big. Uh-huh. And uh, so we'd sit out on the front porch and uh, play our instruments on, on the weekends, you know. So I kind of grew up with that in the family. And uh, then, of course, Dad passed it along to me. I was inter- I was always interested in, in entertainment. Entertainers always just seemed to amaze me. You know, I was always kind of... Uh, I talk about in the book sneaking off with my mom going into theaters and watching the movies and yeah, I see movie houses always attracted me, you know, like the old movie house. Or mm-hmm. You'd have the double feature on Saturday afternoon, you know, and it always had an attraction for me. So I was always attracted to show business for some reason. Um, I don't, I didn't really plan it. I mean, it just happened for me. I think writing songs is what did it. I mean, if I, if I hadn't been a songwriter, I don't think I could have survived the, um, uh, the Beatle, the British invasion of the sixties, you know, with Beatlemania. And then after Beatlemania, you had all the other British acts coming to the States and they pushed a lot of the American acts off the charts. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I think a lot of the reason that happened was because they didn't write their own songs. And, uh, when I was in the service in 1964, it gave me a lot of time to think about what I would do when I got out of the service. And I consciously wrote Sweet Pea. I was thinking I will write something that I called at the time soft rock, 
and which was rock and roll with a little less edge to it because in the 60s you had the protest songs, you had acid, you had hard rock, you had uh, folk rock, you had a, the British sound. So I had to come up with something different, and Sweet Pea is what broke the ice for me. And eventually it turned into what they call bubblegum music, and I became the king of a bubblegum. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't you know they can call different music different things, but you know either it's good or it's not, and 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 yours was always good. So, well, thank you. I I tell you about my music. It's uh, it's fun music. It's happy music. Yes. And one of the biggest thrills I get when I walk on stage and perform for my audience is to see a big smile on the face of my audience. I mean. That's what it really does. And it never fails. When I start Sweet Pea, that big smile shows up on their face. Wow. They just seem to love that song. Yeah, yeah. So do you still, you, you tour a lot still, or? Oh, no, no, no. I, I backed off touring. In fact, I retired in 2005. And oh. uh, my old uh, band leader and friend, Rick Levy, started calling me around 2011, you know, suggesting I come back on the road. And I was, I, I didn't, I wasn't interested. And he kept badgering me on the rip and sell straw hats to Eskimos, you know. So finally he talked me into doing three shows up in Canada in 2012. And I had such a great time. I thought, well, maybe we can do, you know, 10 shows a year, just enough to have fun with and keep my foot in the door. So we do about 10, 15 shows a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just enough for me to enjoy it because I love performing. I love going on stage and meeting my fans and uh, so it, it, it's just enough to keep me happy. Yeah. So if, if everybody sees that you're going to be performing anywhere, they better f- go see it because otherwise they may not get to see you because you'll be someplace else. And in, in you know the rare occasions that you do go. Well, that's true, and you never know how long you can do it. You know, I mean, as mm-hmm. long as I'm healthy, I'll, I'll keep on trying to do it. But uh, you know, you just have to hope for the best and stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, Tommy, you wrote a lot of great songs, but is, and, and of course, I'm sure some were more moneymakers for you and everything, and more the, some the critics like more than others. But you personally, is there any certain song that you had that meant more to you than the others? Well, I'm asked that question a lot, and I, I always say it's, say it's a song that's a ballad, and uh, I never had a ballad hit. And I was trying to do it with that song in 1967. And it was almost a hit. It into the Billboard Top 30, I think. Maybe even the Top 20. Uh, but it was never a huge hit for me. But I think it's one of the best songs I've ever written. Which one so was that? Because I, I got a, a beep when, when, you, when you said it. It's Now Winter's Day. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a ballad song. And it's um, when I originally wrote it, it was called It's Now Christmas Day. I wrote it as a Christmas song. Ah. And the record label talked me into changing it to It's Now Winter's Day. They didn't want to pigeonhole me with the Christmas song. And, and it was probably a good idea because it did get a lot of play. Up and, and it got a lot of play in the north during the winter, you know, because it was so chilly up there. But then uh, about... 
January, February, it turned out to be one of the warmest winters on record. <laughs> and I think it really hurt the record, you know, because it got warm all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> but um, I guess that one, and, you know, I enjoy singing Everybody. Everybody was the follow-up to Sheila, which was a top five record for me as well. And uh, that was my rockabilly. That was in my rockabilly days. Actually, Sheila and Everybody, I was considered a rockabilly artist. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when I came out with Sweet Tea, uh, you know, I started the bubblegum thing and followed that through the rest of the 60s with, with bubblegum songs. Yeah, yeah. But such, such great music, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, Now, with writing this book, uh, are you making more appearances or anything because of the book? Or I'm doing a lot of promotion on the book, and uh, I did one interesting promotion a, a couple of months ago in, uh, at Fresno State University in California. I'm doing some college things, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was in the music department, and the um, you know all the people in the music department in their twenties, early twenties, you know, late twenties. And uh, what I did is I do a Q and A with the audience, and you know, talk about the book. And they have a lot of interesting questions about the sixties. The the kids in their twenties are very interested in, in that decade of music, mm-hmm. especially from the music departments of of the uh, of the uh, college. And then uh, after I do the uh, Q and A, the student band learns my five they learned six of my songs and i did six of my songs with the student band wow which was really, which was really fantastic and a lot of fun because i'm telling you these kids were great they learned my songs perfectly i had i had a little doubt about it at first i thought well you know dizzy especially is a difficult song to play it sounds easy but once you start playing the chords it's a complicated song mm-hmm. and but they just nailed it and we had such a great time and these young young kids in their early 20s i mean they really rocked out with me so i'm doing a lot of that i hope to do more of, of these kind of uh, promotions for the book mm-hmm. yeah Boy, that's, I mean, and and I can imagine, I, I, I know when you do concerts and, and people who, like me, who were around in the 60s and heard your music, of course, it brings a smile to our face. But I would imagine that even the young 20-year-olds right now that hear you uh, play and, and sing your songs at their functions, I'm sure it still brings a, a smile because the music oh, yeah. is infectious. It is. It's infectious. and. And uh, I'm finding that the uh, younger musicians, especially the one in their early 20s, you know, teen, late teens and early 20s, are very interested in the 60s music of all genres, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're also, which is another interesting phenomenon from, as far as I'm concerned, they're interested in vinyl records all of a sudden. Oh, yes. Uh, a lot of the young kids are, go- are going out and buying vinyl records. I mean, they, they're buying a turntable and speakers and the whole thing just the way we did it in the 60s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and in a lot of ways, you know, when you listen to the 60s music, it just sounds better over that analog system than it does digital. I don't know about how people feel about that, I'm, but I know digital has taken over. But I still enjoy listening to the analog records uh, myself. I yeah. mean, they just sound great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's something about hearing that a little hiss and crackle in it. You yeah, know I mean? you know, it's just it's real. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, for years everybody was trying to get away, so it was a, it was the perfect sound. But but yeah. now they kind of miss that stuff, and and uh, it's uh, well, yeah. it still sounds good digitally. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I enjoy it. It's, you know, it's great to have your earphones on with your with your iPhone. I mean, that's just the technology has just changed the music business completely. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, CDs are so yesterday. I know. <laughs> it's like now we're into streaming, man. I mean, 
<laughs> you never know where it's going. And, and uh, I do it. I love streaming my music. And, uh, you know, I, I do it through Amazon. I have an account with Amazon. And yeah. You're streaming through them. So yeah. it's cool. Yeah. Well, Tommy, I, I'd like to finish up with two final questions. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, before I do that, I want to remind everybody that they should go out and get from Cabbage Town to Tinseltown and places in between. Uh, it's a, a great book with a lot of interesting stuff. Do you get a lot of book? You got a lot of pictures in there? In uh, you know, I like- do. I have I have a lot of photos from from the decade, my family, and different artists and stuff. And uh, if they if the listeners would like to have an autographed copy of the book, they can go to my website at tommyrow.com. And that's how to get an autograph copy. Uh-huh. Uh, otherwise, Amazon, you can order it on Amazon as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, two final questions. Uh, actually, I might throw a third one in there, but it'll all be related to the same thing anyways. But uh, taking you away from your music that you've sung and you've written and everything else, but when you relax now, what are your favorite movies of all time? now and of the past what are your favorite tv shows now and of the past and we'll even throw in music on that one what are your favorite music you know not necessarily yours other artists what do you enjoy right oh boy uh, that's a lot of <laughs> yes <laughs> well movies i still love the old movies and my wife and i watch turner classic movies a lot mm-hmm. yeah. uh some of the new movies, you know, being a member of SAG after, I get to preview a lot of the new movies for the SAG Awards, which we do. And we love Moonlight, um, Manchester by the Sea. We love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some great new movies out, but there's something about those old classic movies on Turner Classic Movies Channel that I still love, you know, and the, and the actors from that era as well. Right. They have such class and style. Mm-hmm. Um, music. When I'm driving in traffic, I listen to classical music. <laughs> keep my keep my nerves down. But I also <laughs> listen to um, the oldies stations all the time. I love to listen to the oldies station. Um, sometimes I listen to college radio. I, you know, you hear a lot of different uh, recordings from c- coming from the college kids. They they have a somehow they find this new music and it. And occasionally they have some really good stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the other was television. Of course, my favorite old sitcom is Hazel. I guess that's how I got the idea for Hooray for Hazel. Oh, really? Yeah. I love I love that. Uh, I don't know if you remember Hazel. The yes, sitcom. I do. And uh, but I was watching it one evening, and I, you know, I thought to myself, you know, I've had so many songs that I've written using a girl's name. Why don't I write one about Hazel? So I picked up the guitar and sat there watching the the show and wrote Hooray for Hazel sitting there on the couch. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the old classic, uh, sitcoms like that. I love, um, some of the new shows on, on, um, uh, you know, the cable channels. I forgot the, you know, the, um, well, Amazon has some, they make their own movies now. Yes. And, uh, yeah. some of those are very good. Um, but I'm always, you know, into, whatever's going on at the time and uh i try to keep up with what's going on it's kind of hard to do with music because it changes so fast yeah and um but uh i'm still making a few records i I recorded a few records uh past few years and if i write you know i write in spurts i'm not a writer that sits down every day and makes myself write i kind of have to be uh inspired to write but once i start writing i'll churn out about 15 or 20 songs wow and then if I do that, then I'll record them. I still enjoy recording. I have my own studio to do that. So, yeah. You know, 
As long as I can do it, I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Now, but, but with TV shows, that brought to mind the other thing I was going to ask you about. Uh, uh, were you trying to get into acting there when you were on Green Acres? I was, yeah. That's why I moved to New York. I was going to uh, study acting, which I did. I studied acting in New York. And then Dick Clark kind of pulled me away from that when I moved to California. Right, and I, yeah. I continued it a little bit in California, but I was distracted with the television show, and I got really into making the records out, out in California. So that kind of pulled me away from the acting uh, career. But, uh, you know, I always enjoyed... I, I tell you, what, I did one show, though, and, and it kind of turned me off because it was so, so much work. I did stroll in dinner theater. Um, in the early 70s out in Lubbock, Texas. And it was a run for about three weeks to a month. And and it was such hard acting. I mean, I appreciate stage actors so much after trying to do that myself. Mm-hmm. It is such difficult work to be fresh every day for a performance. And sometimes on the weekends you do two performances. And so I, I thought to myself, boy, if I can just get through this without disappointing all the fans out there that are coming to see me as an actor, I'm going to go back to my bedroom and start writing songs again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hard work, hard work. Those actors, they, they really worked hard, and they really have to be appreciated for that. Yeah. Well, Tommy, everybody should go out and get from Cabbage Town to Tinseltown and places in between. And I thank you so much for joining us here and love your music. Oh, thanks, Brian. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much. A big thank you going out to Tommy Rowe for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. Loved his music. Still love it. It's always uh, fun to listen to, and you can't help but get a smile on your face when you're listening to Tommy Rowe. And uh, if uh, if you don't know the music, uh, some of our listeners who are younger and don't know the music, go and listen to it. Great songs. Tommy Rowe, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that one. If you have a suggestion for a guest, send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We'll see about uh, getting that person on, see if I can make a connection with them. We are uh, still looking for some of the people that uh, people have sent in to us. And uh, it's, it's, you, you guys are coming up with some good ones. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of good people out there. The biggest trick is to finding a connection with them. If they don't have a publicist that I can get in touch with or a home, you know, a home page or something like that, uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult. And sometimes they're just, you know, out of the limelight and they don't want to come back out. Uh, but uh, we're trying. We're getting them. And uh, we really appreciate it when they take the time to do that. And your help by giving us suggestions really does help. Uh, I wish I could get everybody that you want on. But uh, some of them we just can't find a connection. But don't let that deter you. Get it out to me, and we'll see what we can do. All right? So uh, it's a joint joint effort here between all of us. So that's it. Another great guest in the archives. And if you have a friend or anybody that uh, you know think you think they might like to listen to some of these people, tell them to go to onscreenandbeyond.com. We have over 444 guests. Actually, there's more because sometimes we had double guests. And uh, it's just... Just a fascinating place to go and listen to some great, great people who have some uh, fascinating stories. And uh, we're going to continue to do this, and we got some good ones coming, so uh, get ready for it. And that's it. That's a wrap for this week. So until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. Mm-hmm.